0: This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids. Join the league of families who are transforming
1: family time into unforgettable Bitcoin learning experiences. With our Hoddle Up Bitcoin mining board game, you're not just playing. You're building bridges, creating memories, and unlocking the brilliance of the future one block at a time.
0: Art brought me to Bitcoin, and the possibilities that it offers to artists to be not only creatively free, but financially free as well and in control. The music industry is monopolized by the streaming platforms. At the moment, everyone's using Spotify to prove their value to other people. Look how many streams I have, look how many listeners I have. If Spotify were to disappear tomorrow, all that would be gone, and you would be worth nothing. And your songs has never existed.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Orange Hatter. I've got a very exciting announcement to make today. The website for the Orange Hatter Retreat is up and registration is now open. We are offering a 21% discount for anyone who registers by January 30th, 2024. We did have to move the retreat up by one day, so it will run from March 16th through the 20th in Merida, Yucatan, Mexico. This is in partnership with Project Yucatan going to be an amazing five days of recharge, restoration, and deep connections with women Bitbringers. It will be an absolutely incredible chance to meet like-minded women and form friendships that will last a lifetime. Please go to the website www.orangehatter.com slash Yucatan. And I will see you in Mexico. And now on to our very wonderful guests. Enjoy. Welcome to Orange Hatter. Very, very excited to have you here. Can't wait to dive into your story. We're going to talk a lot about music and art, preserving it on the blockchain, a subject that I think a lot of people are somewhat confused about. So, so excited to have you here to share your experience with us. Welcome to Orange Hatter.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Cool. So let's start by just sharing a little bit about yourself with our audience.
0: Yeah. My name is Violetta Zeroni. I'm from Italy. So born and raised in Italy, moved around Europe for a few years, ended up in Nashville. That's where I live now. I'm a musician, full-time professional music artist. I'm a singer-songwriter, meaning I make a living just writing songs and singing them, recording them, performing, and selling my music ultimately. And I've been doing that for 10 years. I started when I was 18, my professional journey. And yeah, I th- I guess that's that's it. I grew up in a very artistic family, very non like financially interested. Fam- my family's not very interested in finances or anything like that. They're just kind of very creative and very supportive of me and my sister's journey and the arts. And
1: yeah, I've, I'm just always looking for new ways to Put out music. So you said your family's artistic. Are they all musicians? In fact,
0: no. But they are creative in many ways. My sister's a movie editor. She edits edits film for a living. My mom doesn't have a creative job, but she is a creative, very creative person, like mm-hmm. business-wise and like just ideas. She's an idea person. So very valuable to me, you know, for mm-hmm. entrepreneurial life. And my dad's a Disney artist, so he draws comics for Disney.
1: How fun is that? Yeah. So what kind of projects has he been involved in? Mostly, well, we have this comic
0: book in Italy called Mickey Mouse that actually comes out every week for 80 years, I think. Wow. Since like 80 years ago. Yeah. And he grew up reading it, was passionate about it, learned how to draw it, ended up working for this publication. It comes out every week. So that's what he's been doing for the last
1: 30-plus years. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Does he make the drawings by hand still?
0: Yeah. It's all of it by hand.
1: All of it by hand. So I've seen films where in the 1950s it's black and white and people are sketching out mickey mouse and they have 10 pages of mickey mouse that they're sketching just with each frame a little bit different so he's still doing that by hand
0: yes and it's not quite i think those that you've seen are how you build how you create cartoons like animated yeah yeah you literally draw each frame yeah and then scroll through them really fast what my dad does is really just like a comic book so pages simply that you turn yeah. but yes it's all by hand and the process really fun he does the drawing with a pencil and then there's someone else in charge of inking the borders and there's someone else in charge of coloring and my dad does the drawing and writes the script for the different stories yes okay
1: yeah where does he get his inspiration from because that's a lot of pressure that's a lot oh, yeah. of <laughs> Creative output.
0: It is. I mean, where do artists get their inspiration? I don't know. I just think they have something to express and that's the only way they can express it. You know, I think the inner child is the always there. He's very passionate about stories and,
1: yeah, just very bright imagination. So you grew up watching him create his work. Did he work from home? Yes, he worked from home. So you got to see mm-hmm. how he worked. What did you think? What did, did you think that your dad was, like, super, super cool? I guess it was normal for me yeah. growing up. My dad drew,
0: and that's what he did. Yeah. I thought it was cool, of course, because he could draw me and my mom and yeah. my sister, like, caricatures. Yeah. It was always fun, and we'd go to comic fairs with him and see other artists that he was friends with, and it was fun to be involved in that comic world. Mm -hmm. I'm very also, it's kind of close to the video game world too. It's kind of connected. But my dad's very on the organic, like grassroots, just drawing with a pencil. Very that. So yeah, I thought, but he changed. He did a few other things. He's also a musician, not not professionally, but he plays
1: music. That's kind of who really pushed me to get into music. It was him. (sighs) Let's talk about that. When did you start playing music and how did you get introduced to it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was very young, I was about three years old, and my dad was playing guitar at home, just playing around, jamming, and he would jam with me and my sister. We were little kids, and we would sing songs, right? And that's when he noticed I had a good pitch. My tone was was right for Mm -hmm. a three-year-old. Okay, she could sing. Mm -hmm. And so they found a children's choir, uh, and that's where I went. I attended that for a couple years, and when I was five, I started taking piano lessons. And then was pushed relentlessly by my parents, <laughs> like, really to take 11 years of piano, classical training, and yeah, they really didn't give me much of a choice, Yeah. You know, at the time, you know, they would say, okay, well, if you don't want to do it, you can quit, but then when your parents give you an ultimatum, like, that, you're like, oh no, I'm going to let them down, like, you don't want to quit, <laughs> so, but I'm grateful, at the time, I kind of hated it, because obviously they were forcing me, but I'm grateful they forced me, because now it's my full-time job and you know Mm. yeah I'm really happy
1: when my kids were little I took them to a concert by the five browns and it was five siblings in the same family and they all went to Juilliard for classical piano oh my god (laughs) and the reason I brought them there was because I really wanted to inspire my kids to love music and play because I I brought them to Suzuki piano and things like that but none of them really went into it yeah but I, I tried to push them with a the piano thing. It didn't work. So tell me about what it was like. like more, give me more details. For 11 years, you were pushed by your parents to play piano. What was that like? They would just, they would put pressure
0: on me. This is how I grew up. And I don't know if, it's, if it works for every kid, but it worked for me. Mm-hmm. I, I am very productive when I'm given tough love. So it's, you're going to do that. And I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, then you may as well just do something else entirely because you're not worth this. That works for me. (laughs) That incentivizes me. I'm not saying it's good for everybody, but for me, it's what a lot of the times in my life when I was almost challenged to quit because I was like, I can't do this. You know, and then I would see like like someone that I know loves me and I know has my back is telling me, I believe in you, you can do this. And if you don't, well, I guess you're not so strong after all. That works for me. Okay. <laughs> so if someone believes in me more than I do believe in myself, yeah. that's inspiring yeah. to me. So that's how my parents would approach it. They really understood what I the kind of direction that I needed. Okay. So they did. And I had a few teachers, study classical music. In the meantime, I realized that I wasn't very prone mm. to follow, like to study in the traditional way. Mm. Like uh, my ears very, very developed, so I would list, hear songs on TV, mm. and and then learn them by ear without reading music. That's mm. how I approach things now.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: remember watching Back to the Future, the movie, and seeing Marty McFly like shredding the guitar on the stage, mm. and that's what inspired me to pick up the guitar interesting you know, oh my god I want to be like that yeah. so yeah how many hours a day did you have to practice not that much one hour and a half or so every day for a six-year-old is like you know I didn't like it very much mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm so glad I did because it, it just really shaped my uh, foundation as a musician now I can understand music very well just by listening to it mm-hmm. and Starting when you're young, I'm not saying it's necessary, but it helps developing this musical brain mm-hmm. that, you, that you have. And you're going you're gonna to just have it with you forever. So yeah.
1: It was what funny. genre do you play now? You mentioned it was jazz
0: and... Kind of. It's like this mellow, jazzy kind of singer-songwriter vibe. Very kind of chill music.
1: How did you find your pointed passion at that genre when you were studying classical?
0: I didn't find it, honestly, until somewhat recently compared how many years I've been doing music. I guess when I was in my teens, that's when I started developing my genre, but I went through so much people telling me what they thought I should sound like. The music industry is very much like that. And, you know, this is kind of the genesis of why I'm here, you know, in Bitcoin <laughs> community talking about this stuff because it started very early in my teens when everyone started chiming in like, oh, no, you should sound like this and you should sound like that. And this is a strategy you should take. And, and you know who you are, you know, you know who you are from the beginning, but maybe you're too young to be able to write it down or act on it, but you have a feeling. You're also, I also felt like I should listen to people mm-hmm. that perhaps knew more than me. And so for many years, I would say for like eight or nine years, I was very confused. And I always had an intuition, but people around me in the music industry, managers, label people, booking agents, people that book your shows, mm-hmm. they all want to have a say. And it, I've come to the conclusion that it's not really because they really believe that's how you should be and how you're going to be successful, but it's because that's what they're familiar with. Because probably they don't know how to work with you otherwise. Right. So they, it, it's them not really knowing how to do their job. So they try to direct you to what they can handle. So that's the conclusion I've come to. And I was signed to a major label when I was 18 which was really hard impact into the crazy centralized corrupt industry that it is that was 10 years ago my path started
1: what were you doing that got their attention that they started to want to mold you in a direction that they wanted to take you
0: yeah i did um x-factor in italy i did a talent show on tv i i sang a song and i played a ukulele on stage at the auditions, and I got four yeses. And then I went past every round of audition, every round of the live show, got to the final, third. Yeah. And then, yeah, they offered me a deal.
1: What was your family's reaction when you said, I want to go on The X Factor?
0: They said, hell yeah. Yeah, Yeah. my dad came with me to the audition, and w- they were all super excited for it, you know. I was yeah. 18, I was still in school, but they said, yeah, absolutely, and they followed the whole journey. You know, you're, I was on TV in front of like millions of people, and yeah. so
1: it was really cool. Did you sing a song that you wrote yourself? No, I couldn't.
0: That was not allowed, so there's another thing. <laughs> what, did you, what did you sing? I sang covers, different things, during the auditions, you know, I could pick... I could sort of pick my songs, but they would like almost force you to sing whatever they had in their catalog of songs that they could show on TV. Interesting. And then during because the, of copyrights, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then during the live shows, you literally had no say. You had to really. Sing yeah. You have You're no kidding!
1: Song. I thought they were. All, they. I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, your choice of song is so important." And uh-uh. no.
0: Maybe other shows, but not X Factor they decide for you. (laughs) It's all scripted, yeah. So what songs did you actually sing? God, I sang... um, I remember I I sang uh, U2, one, that song from U2. Is it getting better? Oh! That one. Yeah, I sang Friday I'm In Love by The Cure. I sang... I mean, really, mostly they were picking songs that were trendy at that moment on the radio.
1: Really? Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't what you connected with. It wasn't a story that you wanted to tell. It was just literally a show. Yeah. And you were just one of the pawns on Mm -hmm. the show.
0: Absolutely. You have to sign a contract before you start. Just Because you're also isolated from the world for two months. You're in this house, kind of like this one. Yeah. No phone, no internet. You can't talk to your family or anybody for two months you have cameras all around you all the time it's like a reality show and you can't leave there's a guy at the door like (laughs) a bulky guy and you sign the contract that if you leave you have to pay seventy thousand dollars yeah so and i was 18 i didn't know what i signed i didn't know what i was doing and even afterwards when the show ended the record a record label major record label I use, I always name, it Sony Music. I can just, mm-hmm. I don't care. It's been yeah. <laughs> they offer me a deal, uh, a record deal. And it, the kind of deal that's called 360 degrees deal, which means normally they give you an advance of money and then you don't make any money until they've recouped the advance through the work that you do. Right. I signed a deal like that without the money advance meaning they would take up to 95% of everything I did, but there was nothing to recoup from their side. And I didn't know what I, what I signed. They got me into their office. They didn't advise me to consult with a lawyer. They just said, we want to offer you a record deal for five albums over the next five years, and we're going to blow you up. And I said, hell yeah. And <laughs> they were
1: going to take 95% of... I didn't even read
0: Five years. I didn't okay. read it. I didn't know anything. And he's like 50-year-old man in the office, you know, with an 18-and-a-half-year-old girl. Wow. Yeah. Because I was of age, you know. Right, so you
1: didn't need your parents. Right. So okay.
0: I just signed it, and then I realized later on what I'd done. But it's fine because I was
1: so young, and it's better to do, do those things when you're young. Yeah, yeah. It's a learning experience. Yeah. What were the other people like in the house that you were trapped in?
0: they were crazy (laughs) no they were just musicians like myself people that maybe they were not famous they were not professional perhaps or some of them were but maybe they do like weddings or like paid gigs cover gigs and stuff yeah they're just regular people of course artists can be a little a little crazy sometimes but uh it was fun it was a great experience you know
1: so you signed this crazy five year five album deal. Mm-hmm. Are you still buying to that? No, no. i was I was in it for two
0: years, and then I realized they had actually breached something. The uh, the contract said we have to release five albums within this period of time. Mm-hmm. They didn't even release one. So it was on them, really, because I delivered an album, and they didn't release it. And so I went up to them by myself. I said, guys, I don't think this is working out. Can we just like (laughs) part ways peacefully? And they said, okay. And so I I moved on. Were you able to take your album with you? I was. They sold back the master to me. So, yeah. So that's good.
1: That's so interesting, that, that whole business model with the X Factor.
0: It's stupid. The whole business model in the music industry is like a really terrible predatory loan. Imagine if a bank right, gives you a mortgage. You're not going to not make money until you've paid it back. You're going to pay little by little, right, right? right? But you have to live. Right. With a label, it's different. They give you a, a loan, and you're not allowed to make any money until, they've, until you've paid it off. Right. So imagine they give you half a million dollars, which is impossible to make, and nowadays music industry is really hard. What are you going to do? Like, s- literally, they're going to, you know, spend some of that money for your promotion, etc. What if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work out? Mm-hmm. Then they're going to give you half of that to live. You can live off of that, maybe for a year or two, buy a house, whatever. But they're mm-hmm. never going to make that money back, and, in the me- and then you can't make any money.
1: Until all, it's recorded,
0: yeah. yeah. All the money that you generate goes back to them, right? And so, so many artists just end up, you know, being poor, or being broke, and not knowing what they've gotten themselves into, um, because the industry makers keep them out of the conversations, including managers. Man- music managers are not involved. It's not them. It's not their name. So they do what's beneficial to them. You really can't trust anyone.
1: So the musicians are really being exploited in this industry. 100%. Why do you say musicians can't make money, can't make half a million dollars these days? You see all these big stars living up the big life. You see them for sure, but
0: those are 0.1% of the musicians in the world. Mm -hmm. There are hundreds of millions of really talented musicians out there that it's really hard for them to build communities, perhaps that are smaller but better, because the music industry is monopolized by the streaming platforms. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a presence over there, then you're basically irrelevant in the bigger picture. Uh, And if you have a presence over there, you're not really making that much money because not many people know, but every stream on Spotify equals 2.003 cents. Of a dollar so if you have a million streams you're only making three thousand dollars in some cities you can't even pay one month rent and it's a million streams how much time does it take to get a million people to listen to your song right so snoop dogg came out with an article the other day he had a billion streams and made forty five thousand dollars a billion streams Because everyone's taking a piece of the pie and it's just like there's it's really hard even for people like him, who's he doesn't need money, he's big, he's famous, he's you know. But it's he's one of the few that's speaking up about this and so yeah. Musicians are exploited by everyone and they would rather have fame than wealth or just be able to survive off of your music. They'd rather millions of people listen to your song and you make zero than a thousand people listen to your songs and you're making a good living
1: it's yeah. so is that a choice is that just a strategic choice for musicians for the sake of art i think it's kind of for the sake of ego <laughs> to be honest okay <laughs> and i it, this is a
0: hot take but yeah in my opinion if you're an artist you shouldn't really care if, if what makes you happy is making your art for a living, that should be satisfying to you. It's not about how many people see this, but can I make my art for a living and not do anything else? Yeah, then you're successful. Not like the vanity metric. 10 million people listen to So it is a choice, but at the same time, it's become the standard of the music industry. Anyone will tell you if you don't have a million Spotify listeners or a million TikTok followers, you're irrelevant and Musicians don't have any uh, education around the alternative ways Mm. that you have to Mm -hmm. actually make a living and connect better with the people that appreciate what you do because the gatekeepers, you know.
1: So you're talking about mass distribution. What about uh, live gigs? Because I, my kids tell me, I don't know. My kids tell me that musicians nowadays must make their living doing live gigs because the streamings on the platform are only for the purpose of letting people know that you exist so that they would come to your life gigs.
0: They're correct. They are correct. They are correct. Yeah, very accurate. And that's what I did until a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. made my living through performing, (laughs) which when you think about it, it's kind of a paradox that what you really spend a lot of money on is and a lot of time on is producing your music. Like your product is your music. Mm -hmm. And that's the very thing you give away for free, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And then you physically have to go to places. In the era of the internet, you physically have to go to places when it could be so easy to just sell music online. You have to go to places, exhaust yourself, mm. you know, and um, and perform. And then that could be taken away any day. COVID pandemic, what right. happened? I was jobless. Yeah. I had to get government help because I couldn't pay my rent. Yeah. And so they are right, but... It's wrong, I believe. It's a wrong principle that your product is what... It's like if you go to a grocery store and you can get anything in the store for free, but then then they're going to try to sell you Kroger t-shirt on your way out. <laughs> right. You know, but you can get your, your lettuce, you can get your produce for free, mm. but we're going to try to convince you to buy a t-shirt on the way out. Right. That makes okay. some
1: sense, you know? You're right. That's a a good um, visual.
0: So people tell musicians, you're not going to make money from from your music, but you can make money from your merch. My product is my music, not a t-shirt.
1: If you build a small community of passionate followers who really identify with the message in your music and the stories that you share, is that part of the joy that a musician would be able to take advantage of uh, monetarily?
0: Yes, I mean absolutely. That's kind of my situation right now. Mm-hmm. I've built a much smaller community, but it's very passionate. So, when they say 1000 true fans, you know that theory? Mm-hmm. It is act- actually real. That's what I have. 1000 true fans, 1400 to yeah. be accurate, who connect deeply with what I do and the journey I'm on and not necessarily just the music itself. Mm-hmm. But the way they support me is they buy my music. And I reward them for supporting me that way by being available to them and spending time with them and giving them access to my process and my live shows for free. So I've flipped it. I sell my music and then they can have deeper access if they decide to support me in that way. I prefer doing that. That's what I spend money on producing the music writing the music, time, you know, all that stuff is what I want to be the product.
1: One of my kids had an acting job. She was a minor. I had to be on set with her. A lot of people see actors almost as a free access to their entire life, their entire person. So their craft, when you're acting, the craft is the piece of performance that you put out there, right? Like a movie or a show or whatever. But for whatever reason, in the public side, they should have access to you as a person as well. All of you, your relationship, what you're doing personally, your personal beliefs, philosophies, your uh, political leanings, all of that. It's like, in my mind, looking at it from the outside and also as a parent of a minor actor, I felt that that was exceptionally unfair. I didn't want her her performance to give access to everybody, to her, all of herself because I I believe that part should remain private. So, but what you're saying is almost the opposite. Your art is the music, and you then open up yourself, all of yourself, to your audience as a way of building the community and the relationship.
0: Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And the the reason why I'm saying this like the opposite is because that's up to me. Whether I want to open up to my audience is up to me. And I don't have to because I've already sold my product, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the product that goes without like, there's no terms and conditions on that. You know, you, you sell it, you, the person owns it, and the deal is done. The exchange has happened. And then whatever, however I want to interact with my audience is up to me. That's what I call artist sovereignty, artist decentralization. So okay. that you own, you have the right to choose. Whereas in the traditional music industry, your product is given out for free and what eventually you're going to sell is access to you. So like, follow me on TikTok while I cook, watch my entire life unravel, be in my live reality TV show. So you become the product, whereas I want my music to be the product and I want it to be up to me how much I want to open up to my audience. So that's also another big thing, you know, because when labels used to tell me, build your TikTok numbers, On TikTok, nobody cares about my music. They want to watch me do my makeup. They want to watch me cook Italian food. They want to watch me pet my cat. And that's all private stuff. Right. I don't want to. Exactly. I want to choose whether I want to share it or not. Whereas my music is meant to be shared. So.
1: I love that. I I love that mentality. When I was talking to those actors, their response to me was, yeah, it comes with the industry. It's like they are just victim to the standards of the industry and my daughter eventually decided it wasn't something that she wanted to be a part of so she pulled back so that was the end of that but I love what you're saying and I feel like we this is a really great segue into the whole idea of bitcoin decentralized system so let's dive into that how did you come across bitcoin and what was your first reaction
0: Yeah, uh, well, obviously, I've been an advocate for this kind of self-sovereignty independence from an artist standpoint for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Since I had that encounter with the label, Mm -hmm. I was like, something's off. How is a group of men deciding for me? So that was kind of the genesis of that mentality. Mm -hmm. But practically how I encountered Bitcoin, to be honest, I got into... NFTs, Mm -hmm. Ethereum blockchain NFTs, Mm -hmm. a couple years ago, because I was looking for an alternative way to proliferate my music, Mm -hmm. put it on a ledger that I could control, and find a community that I could communicate with directly. So that's how I found Ethereum and NFTs. I put out almost 10,000 music NFTs and sold them, built a community. Uh, it's about 10 songs, about a thousand copies for each song. It's a very complex structure, but... Just so to, you get to decide how many copies of each song yes. you distribute. Mm-hmm. And okay. sell them individually, each copy. How does that work? You create with through smart contracts, and I know this is about Bitcoin, so I don't want to like delve too much into Ethereum, but yeah. um, it's kind of what led me to Bitcoin in the end, which, yeah. you know yeah smart contracts allow you to create a specific amount of tokens non-fungible tokens that you can link metadata to Uh, and it can be songs or media or whatever and you can create as many as you want and make them look however you want and literally determine your supply your dilution and your cost and the properties of this token and create your economy your record store and Mm -hmm. so i was able to do a few collections a few albums for a total of about 10,000 NFTs with a few different songs. Art, my dad participated in the art for the design and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's what I did. And that I did that for a long time, about a year and a half. And then about eight months ago, so I'm pretty new to mm-hmm. be honest, but I'm very passionate about it. I heard about Bitcoin ordinals, mm-hmm. which is kind of the equivalent of NFTs, but on Bitcoin, mm-hmm. with a few different things about it that makes it even cooler. When they launched back in February, you know, it was like, oh, this is NFTs on on Bitcoin. Why should I do it on Bitcoin? I can do it on Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. But the the difference really is that you can put your art on chain. Like your art, your music, whatever can be inscribed on the blockchain and be immutable. You can never change it. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be preserved forever, which is not something that is so easy to do on Ethereum because your art lives off-chain, and you can mutate it, which can be something good, right? It can follow your path, but there is something about immutability, um, security as well, because when you inscribe art on Bitcoin, you're inscribing it on a Satoshi, Mm -hmm. on a SAT, which is not coded by anyone, so it's got no security risks, whereas an NFT, a non-fungible token, is coded by literally a programmer who could put anything into it. So you have to audit that before. So for security reasons, is really interesting. And so I learned about Bitcoin ordinals. Shout out to Casey Rodimer who created them back then. Uh, actually today is the one year anniversary of ordinals. Oh, First wait. ever ordinal was inscribed December 14th last year. Interesting, didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah cool. super cool. Um, and so I found this and started doing my research, got me into Bitcoin, realized like everything that goes on around it. So I would say art brought me to Bitcoin and the possibilities that it offers to artists to be not only creatively free, but financially free as well and in control. So here I am. I put a song on Bitcoin. It's living up there. Back in June, I did that.
1: So help me understand. If you put a song on a Bitcoin and it's living forever on chain, Is that just a way to secure your copyright so the other people can't copy it? Because it doesn't sound like you can create the tokens that you were talking about on the NFT so you can sell individual copies. So what is the benefit other than securing your copyright for your song? Yeah, it's, I mean, some people don't agree with
0: copyright. Some people don't believe in copyright. I'm still kind of in the middle because in a way I feel like Copyright is, is, can be sometimes a way for middlemen to interfere. <laughs> so yeah. I've had bad experiences with copyright protection, but Bitcoin does offer that kind of protection. So if you're willing to dox yourself and not be anonymous, you're gonna know that that song, the first time it appeared on the internet, it came from my wallet. Okay. So that is mine. I, I do have, that's traceable. So provenance, right. absolutely. That's a big deal. People are experimenting with with building copyright. I know that within the Bitcoin community, yeah, not everyone cares so much about copyright. And I understand. So, well, the
1: notion that the copyright basically gives you the legal right to pursue someone who's stealing your work, yeah, but you still need to have the resources to make that chase. So it protects you in a way if you have the resources to go after violators, but otherwise it's just a standalone statement. Yeah. You're just making a statement. So how does that help an artist other than that you can chase after violators, people who steal it?
0: Well, it can't be censored. It can't be taken down mm-hmm. by anyone, which is what decentralization really means for an artist. Is you know, At the moment, everyone's using Spotify. They have full control over your music.
1: Spotify does. Oh, yeah.
0: Spotify, Apple Music, mostly Spotify, because they're the the only company that is fully music centric, whereas Apple, of course, has other products, Amazon as well. Spotify is just music and podcasts. So it's really in their hands. Like everyone's using that platform to prove their value to other people. Look how many streams I have. Look how many listeners I have. If Spotify were to disappear tomorrow all that would be gone and you would be worth nothing. And your songs has never existed. If you know what I mean, it's it's in their hands entirely. Whereas putting a song on Bitcoin, Mm It's not even in your hands anymore. It's in the hands of the superior, massive worldwide thing that we all collaborate and work towards and Mm -hmm. work for. Mm -hmm. So you're putting it, it it transcends you as an artist. It transcends music institutions and tech companies. It's just there. And it's up to the people that work on Bitcoin to keep the, the, the chain going, really. So, yeah, you are protecting it for the longest time in the best way possible.
1: Okay, but in terms of monetization, you can't use it the same way that you're using the NFTs, the way that you described you it before. Can. You can. Yeah. Okay, you can. tell me about that because yeah. I'm, I'm
0: really confused. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the same, right? So basically okay. what you're doing is you are tracing your legacy, you're putting the original master, the original copies of your song, of your art, whatever, on your favorite blockchain. The reason why uh, Casey Rotimer, I heard it from his mouth, Came up with the concept of ordinals is because he wanted to make NFTs. He wanted to protect his art on chain, but didn't like Ethereum. Found bugs within within it, right. so found a way to categorize Satoshi's in a, a non fungible way. So number them to make them non fungible. They're not just like one sat for one sat. Now they have an order, and you can right. distinguish them, and so that that makes them rare in in itself. And so you can you can sell them. You know, I'm I'm gonna sell you the first manuscript of the song and I could create 10 copies if I want to on 10 different sets and sell it 10 times or uh, whatever it's like you're creating your vinyl vinyl record but it's on bitcoin
1: so is it like a placeholder so you've uploaded your song there and then after that you can then create the different copies to distribute
0: yeah that's a that's you can do that you can use the parent child recursion process. Kinda complex, technical. I'm not gonna get into it. You can do that or you can simply take ten different sets, right? Ten sets and on each one of them inscribe the same song. Or ten different songs. Uh,
1: or you know And then you just put through the transaction. Right. Got it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you end up having you know, if you wanted to do 10,000 NFTs with 10 different songs and do 1,000 for the same song, you could take 10,000 sets and
1: inscribe them all with art and music. And So, is it your intention then that every song you create, you would just have limited distribution so that it increases the value of the song? Yes. Okay, so only the people who are truly passionate about your music can get a copy of your song that's and right. be able to listen to it and enjoy it every day.
0: Yeah, I mean, people can okay. still listen, obviously, because you can go to the marketplaces or indexers or whatever, and you can listen, but there's a difference between listening and, and owning. I, I treat music as art. So you can, you can look at this sculpture that's hanging here, mm-hmm. but that's not going to really mean anything unless you own it. You can enjoy it, look at it, but you can't own it and have all the benefits that come with owning something, right? Mm. And so I apply the same thought process to music. You can listen as much as you want, but it really doesn't mean anything. You can't stop people from hearing in the internet era. You can't stop people from seeing, listening, consuming. Mm-hmm. So owning becomes very important.
1: So if, so, if I bought uh, one of the copies of your music, then that gives me access to whatever it comes with it, as you mentioned, maybe access to your inner circle, access to life events and things like that, exclusive life events.
0: Yeah, you're collecting my art, right? So think Mm -hmm. about if you buy a really expensive piece of art from an artist, then you're also buying it to get into their inner circle, right? Because you wanna be close to this artist and Mm -hmm. learn their process and have a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar.
1: Can you put a smart contract on the song that you sell on the Sat, that allows you to collect a portion of the purses if someone were to sell the song and then someone else were to sell the song? No. No, not like that.
0: Yeah, they don't have smart contracts. Royalty splits are not a thing on Bitcoin that way because we don't have smart contracts that we can program that way. But, you know, that's... I feel like the two things like Ethereum and Bitcoin in that sense for media for art they serve different purposes, right? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't even exclude the one day I have the original master of the song preserved stored on Bitcoin and then the copies that I sell to a wider audience with royalty splits whatever I'm on I'm on Ethereum because it's just more I can manipulate how I want it based on the situation, right? I want to split the revenue with my co-ride or whatever. Mm-hmm. I can do it on Ethereum. It's just okay. kind of more flexible in that sense. Got it. But on Bitcoin is the most it's the safest way to store and preserve. So okay, yeah.
1: Cool. So you mentioned that you came across. Sorry, Bitcoin. It's a lot. No, no. I, I I'm so glad that you were explaining it to me because I was really confused. And I see benefits on both sides. Just like you said, it depends on your situation, what you want to take advantage of, and it's just wonderful that Bitcoin serves a very specific purpose for security. So you mentioned that when you came to Bitcoin, you came to Bitcoin because of art, and then you started to learn about the ethos of Bitcoin, the philosophy and the freedom aspect of Bitcoin. Tell us a little bit more about that. What did you think? Did you know about those aspects of Bitcoin before you came here for the purpose of preserving your music?
0: I so I'm still learning. So that's my premise. That's why I came here. I'm really like I want to be part of the community and learning in in depth. I want to be involved in counter culture. I want to be involved in different, differently thinking people because I've always been that way. Mm-hmm. So what I really love about the Bitcoin ethos and the community is that people that don't just sit back and say, yes, master, they ask <laughs> questions <laughs> yeah. and they want answers and they find solutions yeah. to the questions that are not answered. <clears throat> so yeah. that's really what I like about it. Yeah. And it can be applied to finances, everyday life, Art, I've been that way with art and music, and so finding a group of like-minded people that are analyzing and researching how to be better, more independent, that aligns with me. And each one of us has their own reasons, right, why they're here and what they're coming from. But it doesn't matter. All roads lead to Bitcoin. So ultimately, I live in Nashville, which is music city. And I am not involved at all with the music industry in the city. I, I can't find the answers I'm looking for there. Because everyone's just complying with the music industry, the record labels that dominate the city. And it's so cool to me that Nashville is such a growing Bitcoin hub. Because it's that counterculture that's developing, right. and me as a musician, I can come here and be with like-minded people. So,
1: so are you able to connect with other musicians who are not bitcoiners yet, and tell them about Bitcoin and what is their response? It's really hard, even it, for coming from this industry where you're exploited constantly. Really hard. It's, it's almost
0: like the Stockholm Syndrome situation <laughs> where you fall in love with your oppressor, quite literally. Somehow there's this intimidation, like, oh, if I don't comply, then I'm gonna burn some opportunities for myself. And mm. I've just been through it too many times where I'm like, any of the opportunities that were given to me by somebody else who told me they could help me, didn't work. And I'm better off finding, creating opportunity for myself. And mm. at this point, I speak to record label people and I quite literally to their face, tell them, I'm taking your job. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we're putting music on. My last post on Instagram is, I am now fully independent because my music lives on Bitcoin. And I, nobody can take it down. Nobody, yeah. nobody, not even the CEO of Spotify and that's independence. But they don't, they don't care that much. That's just sad.
1: <laughs> okay, so you have a Twitter space and you go on there and you have your jams and and you receive support from people in the community. Are the musicians that you're jamming with all on board with they are. The, the counterculture of creating music and, and making a living with music?
0: Absolutely, yeah, okay. the majority of them are. Some of them are not so, radical like me I'm very much a maximalist in that sense like Mm -hmm. I've I did a panel at an Ordinals event in Miami there now and I explicitly said I'm done with putting music on Spotify like that's it I don't do it anymore so I'm very like all in and I'm not looking back not every artist is that way they maybe have one foot in one foot out which is fine it's Mm -hmm. better than not doing it at all and maybe in time they, they will see the benefits of being all-in. I also have to say, it's not easy to be all-in because you have to be out of your comfort zone a lot more, I would say. Yeah. But I'm happy to do the research as much as I can and then report to my friends and my colleagues and test it out for, for them and see if, if they can use it too.
1: So for a brand new musician who nobody knows, hasn't done really anything public, and they want to follow you in your footsteps, they want to start on the right foot, go starting this career, building their business, and really living on their art. What would you tell them? What would their first step have to be?
0: It's complicated because I, I would not tell them to follow my steps that I took 10 years ago because that was bad. It led me here, so it was good, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with the technology we have now, I really think that putting your music, building your legacy, and your provenance on Bitcoin is a great way to start. We also want to be respectful of the chain because it is limited real estate that you have, right? You have limited amount of sats. So that's another thing that Bitcoin does to you. It helps you think and really reflect. You really want to put this up there because you can't delete it and you're taking up space for other people and you're raising the fees. <laughs> so, right. like, think about it, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Which is amazing also, because artists are used to just cranking out songs like burgers at McDonald's, mm. and the idea of really thinking and cherishing every piece of art that you put out is long gone, and I feel like that's coming back with Bitcoin, because of all these obstacles. It's super cool.
1: I want to ask you about Wavelake, because usually when people think musicians, Bitcoiners, automatically they say, go to Wavelake. Because that's a platform where musicians can get paid directly. So it's similar to what you're saying in this interview. So what do you think about Wave Lake?
0: Yeah, good question. I'm not on it yet. I think Wave Lake is a great way to maybe get your music randomly discovered. But you're still using a platform, right? So that's, that's something really important, right? When you think about the, the principles of Bitcoin as two individuals interact directly without mm-hmm. the need of a third party or intermediary that is centralized, right? Bitcoin is decentralized. So yeah. a platform like Wavelake having a founders and is somewhat decentralized. And so that's something to keep in mind. You are streaming music for free and if you want, you can send money. So really it is it's not centralized around the artist, which is just an option that I want to present to potential musicians and people who are interested in this kind of technology. I'm an activist for alternatives, because what happened in, in the traditional industry is one platform takes the monopoly. And then there's one person every once in a while that says, well, there's alternatives. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate what Wave Lake does, that it, it is helping onboarding musicians to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. And ultimately, that's our goal. But I'm also you know, interested in showing that there are different alternatives where the artist can be the platform. I'm my own platform. I have more responsibilities, but also more decision power, and yeah. So that that's really what I what I think about it, and I think that that's what, how I go about things. I, I like to be fully cent- centralized around myself, and like I said, I'm pretty extreme about this. So not every artist wants to have this kind of burden as well on their shoulders.
1: So. Yeah, I mean that's that's so true. Bitcoin is all about peer-to-peer transaction, and if you have a platform in the middle, even though it facilitates the exposure on both sides, it is still an intermediary, and you want to go all in, peer-to-peer. And so you take on the responsibility of building out your own platform and having full control over your interaction with your fans.
0: Correct. Yes. When you give power to a third party, whoever it is, you are giving up some of your power and the Mm -hmm. peer to peer fades out a little bit. So Mm -hmm. it's just something to keep in mind, you know, and it's not always evil. Like, I mean, I use centralized platforms on Ethereum all the time. I Mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying it's always it's bad. I'm just saying it's good to be aware of that and not Mm -hmm. think that just because something is on a decentralized blockchain, then it is decentralized. Always good to be aware
1: yeah so, so pros and cons of yeah. all of different different approaches just becoming aware and knowing the choices that you're making consciously i think it's just the the key point is to key. know what you're getting yourself into what you're getting out of it and what what you're giving up for it
0: yeah just awareness education literacy in general
1: so pretend i have written two songs And I want to start and I want to build a business around the art that I create. Yep. Step number one, you're saying make sure your song is good and then consider putting it on the blockchain.
0: Yes. And I think putting music on Bitcoin is expensive. Mm. So that's, it's definitely expensive and it's going to only get more expensive. So I would definitely recommend to really think about it. But like I said, I came from Ethereum. Mm-hmm. There's other blockchains, and I, w- I would recommend to check it out just to c- learn the process. Almost use it as a test net before you put your music on Bitcoin, because obviously it's going to cost you money, and it's going to cost the whole community something. Mm-hmm. So yeah. m- make sure you're sure. Yeah. But you can use Ethereum. Lots of people say, you know, Ethereum is like almost like a test thing for And yeah, I I would agree. I believe in that ecosystem very much because it's very flexible. It allows me to build a community. Mm -hmm. So I would say start from there.
1: Okay. So step two, start a community. Or is that step one?
0: I would start building a community first thing. How how do you do that? Okay, well, there's many ways. The way I did it was open up Twitter spaces and host Twitter spaces every day for two or three hours every day, no matter what. So, I love talking, you know, like you're seeing now. I'm a chatty person. And I love entertaining. I love playing for people. I love receiving love for my songs. And I thought I'm just going to do this every day and show up. And people appreciated that and started getting involved. And then when I <clears throat> minted my NFTs, everyone bought it because they're like, oh, she's been giving us so much value and entertainment. And we're going to buy this. And little
1: by little, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. What would you say to a woman who's sitting on the fence about Bitcoin?
0: I would say definitely take your time to learn because as we were talking about earlier, it's important we're pioneering this, I -hmm. feel. And so you really have to know how it works. But I would say I feel like Bitcoin is much more than just the technical conversations that are usually had perhaps at meetups or the main conferences it can be very technical mm-hmm. but i find a lot of emotions in it and it does change how i think and how i act as a person as a woman in my life i really did find more independence because of it in my everyday life Changed the way i think so it's okay to approach it in an emotional way i believe find some philosophy into it so.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this chat. I'm sure it cleared up a lot of questions about this. And there are a lot of people out there trying to make something of their art. Self-expression, I think, is so important. And just knowing that this is an option, I think will be really helpful. So thank you so much for sharing thank that with us. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. If the discussion with our guest resonated with you and you would like to dive deeper into the world of Bitcoin, Don't miss out on joining the Orange Hatter Women's Reading Club. The meetup link is in the show notes. Also, if there are women in your life whom you think would both enjoy and benefit from learning more about Bitcoin, please share Orange Hatter with them. Until next time, bye!